Welcome to the Modern Hippie Podcast, where we'll be exploring all of my favorite boundary-pushing people and topics surrounding consciousness, psychedelics, mental performance, functional medicine, living in alignment, and so much more. I'm your host, Barrett Perlman, a former pro wakeboarder turned body worker, energy healer, and well, a modern hippie. And I'm so glad you're here. Welcome back to the Modern Hippie Podcast. I am joined today by Ariel Clark, who is a founding partner lawyer at Clark Howell and one of the founders of the Psychedelics Bar Association. So thank you so much for joining me today, Ariel. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah. You and I met um, at Remind, which was a psychedelics business conference, part of the marijuana business conference. And I heard you give a presentation. I heard you speak and um, was just like, who is this badass babe of a lawyer that I think I need as part of my team? (laughs) And uh, got to know you a little bit and, and it's all true. And so I would just love to to riff with you on like, how did you get started on this journey with psychedelics and self-exploration? Yeah, let's mm-hmm. start there. Yeah, thank you. I love that as a starting point, the origin story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the, the best way for me to describe my entry point on this path is to talk about my my lineages. Um, so, um, you know, we have, all of us have many different types of lineages. Um, and so I'll identify a few. Um, I am mixed race. I'm half Odawa or full. I mean, it's, as mixed people, it's such a funny and interesting space to hold because we are both and. <laughs> so mm. I am... Um, half French American and half Odawa Anishinaabe. Um, and, um, yeah, my tribe is in, in the Great Lakes area and I was raised in, in Michigan. Um, Mm. although I went around in a light blue VW bus for a number of years (laughs) and so had a very non-traditional upbringing. Um, Mm. And, you know, really people that I was raised around were sort of in a lot of ways on the fringes of society on on multiple fronts, Um, you know, native people, but also, you know, queer people, political radicals, um, you know, refugees seeking political asylum. I just I I grew up around a Mm -hmm. lot of sort of people who cared about people. And saw a lot of um, inequities in systems and um, had my own path of challenges. Um, a lot of, you know, I think it's well known, but, you know, there is the the historical trauma and international intergenerational trauma was something that um, really, you know, I suffered from immensely for a solid 22 years of a lot of difficulties. And so, um, yeah, so the walk, the step onto the path um, was sort of part of, is part of that process, that transformational process. Um, And my first really deeply healing experience from medicine, and I will say from 
so in Anishinaabe Moan, which is the Anishinaabe language, the word for medicine is mushkiki, which is actually translated as strength of the earth. And so the first medicine mm. experience I had was like, that was really deeply that was maybe seven or eight years ago or so, but just walking, walking in the woods and, and crying and really kind of going into mm. sort of a hibernation period with myself for a few weeks to really feel a lot of things and had a, had a really deep experience. And then, you know, it was the plants and the trees that, that, that saved me. And I love the plants and the trees and mm-hmm. just all, just, you know, all, 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 all of this, you know, despite all of the, despite all of the really suffering and oppression and, you know, harm that, we are still, you know, really working through. Um, yeah, so that's how I stepped onto this path. Wow. <clears throat> I actually didn't even know that about you. And I thank you for sharing that story with me. I have so many questions. Like, did you grow up knowing your tribe? Was that part of your upbringing? Other than like, I know you mentioned all of the interesting characters who cared so much, but did that include your tribe? So, you know, we have in this, in this country, nearly what, 530 years of settler colonization. Um, and it's really astounding to look at the history of laws and, you know, starting from sort of this mm. doctrine of discovery that has justified, um, you know, this is globally justified really European colonization of so many places and people. And, you know, over those hundreds of years, there have been all sorts of other laws, you know, laws really grounded in genocide and taking of land and, you know, taking of people's humanity. And, you know, for, Hmm. you know, there's, you know, a lot I could say, but there it's, it's really astounding to see all the ways in which this government has really, you know, has treated indigenous, the people that are indigenous to the, these, this land. And, you know, part of that story involves the story of taking native kids to boarding schools. Um, both of my grandparents were in those horrible places um and you know then the further sort of ways of stripping people of their culture and identity and religion you know native people were not allowed to they were persecuted until 1978 um to you know practicing re- religion and religious and cultural practices and you know at these boarding schools kids were not allowed to speak their language or practice their cultural beliefs or, um, you know, and then there was rampant abuse. I mean, you know, just, um, Mm. just horrible. And, you know, as we know, all of this, you know, the epigenetic story is deep, you know, for for 500 years of colonization and epigenetically kind of what, what happens to our bodies really, you know, like what, what happened, to my body, (laughs) uh, Mm. that, you know, yeah. So, um, 
But, and then there were these other stories of like, you know, child protective services taking away native kids and adopting them out and just all sorts of things. So, and a lot, and it was, you know, being, being indigenous was not cool. I mean, I'm, I'm 45. (laughs) When I was young in Michigan, it was not cool to be indigenous. I, even though I'm white passing, I still dealt with, you know, some really, a couple really ugly experiences from white kids, you know, in that I knew growing up and things that they would say. And, you know, it wasn't okay for, certainly not okay for my, my father and my uncles and my uncle and my aunts and, and other folks to be Indian, you know? And so things have changed a lot, which is great. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. so, so grateful, you know, there's such a resurgence, but when I was young, you know, things were different. And, um, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of sadness and sorrow and grief. And, and that looked like a lot of drug addiction and alcoholism throughout my family. So, um, you know, people were not available Mm. very much, you know, in, in, in the ways that when they are in a place of, you know, I would say it's sorrow, but, you know, you could say mm-hmm. addiction um, or something like that. So um, I grew up, you know, with with a fractured connection to my tribe and my community and had other Native people from my same tribe or other tribes that I met, you know, especially in my childhood that, you know, kind of took me under their wing and over the course, you know, of, of, of that harder time. Um, but what's very beautiful is that, you know, part of the story of healing is the lineage healing, you know? And so it's like, I am still, I, I get mm. to really now live and walk a path of, you know, I call it the red road in Anishinaabe Moan, Bamatizuin is like the good, the living a good way, you know, and there are these other teachings that I, I, I have the, like, such a privilege to like reconnect with with myself you know and my community Mm -hmm. and so it's all just part of the story you know like our stories are our stories are circuitous routes (laughs) yeah wow I think you make a really great um point as well about honoring you know, your path can be so affected by everyone around you because they're on their path. And and if the people around you are on a path of self-destruction and and not in a place to be able to support you emotionally as you're growing and having your own struggles, well, it, it certainly leaves you very alone and having to figure that out for yourself. And um, for my listeners who aren't familiar with epigenetics, um, what what does that mean and how has that been imprinted on you? Yeah. So there was a thought for, I think a long time, certainly again, when I was young that, you know, our gene expression didn't change quickly, that it was over the course of many, many generations. Um, and, and actually when I learned about epigenetics, I, (laughs) I breathed a deep sigh of relief because I spent Mm. a long, long time, especially when I was in that darkness, just 
berating myself for like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I, why can't I be okay? Why can't I feel okay? Why can't I, you know, just the, the, this, this literally the grief that I literally felt like I was like born with, it wasn't a thing that arose at some point, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and then other things, you know, why can't I just be okay? And then, you know, learning about epigenetics, which is basically like in the preceding generation, our mother and grandmother, our father and grandfather, that literally experiences in their life in all respects, but we can just maybe look at trauma that it's expressed in the subsequent generation, like literally right then from mother to child. And you see these. So it's, I I almost think about it like, it's like, like a, a ricocheting of experiences and also is, you know, the idea of seven generations before and seven generations in the future and the like where we are at, you know, in terms of all of our relations, really not just being our relations that are on this physical plane now, but our mm-hmm. relations that have been and still are because they are our ancestors and they're with us and mm-hmm. the ones that come before us you know, who are also here because their, their lives are made of the stuff of our decisions as well. You know, I was born, Mm -hmm. you were born into a world where the subsequent generations and choices and forces and all the things that I couldn't possibly understand with this limited human mind, they all create the container that we live in and all the systems that we live in, you know? And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, it's really amazing to learn about epigenetics and and for me just really feeling a sense of like truly liberation from self-hatred and shame, you know, mm-hmm. that continues with like the work of understanding, you know, all of the systems of oppression and, you know, kind of, it's a lot of what I think about, you know, because I'm on the quest for liberation for us all, you know. And like true homecoming, you know. Oh, seriously, and I think that's so. Now that I know your origin story so beautifully, it ties into exactly what you do have committed your life to, which is helping free people from oppression, um, and helping liberate the medicines that allow for that healing as well. Um, and so, where then? You had your your first big experience and almost like a walkabout, it sounds like. Um, what what's the term for it in your tribe? Well, I just was mentioning the 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 I, I mentioned the the word of like what what medicine is. Medicine means strength of the earth. Mm. And you know, I th- I think especially, you know, it's a good thing for people to to put in the front of their minds, especially who are newer to working with psychedelics or plant medicines, sacred medicines is like, you know, I think you and I talked about recently, 99% of it really needs to be integration. You know, the preparation Mm -hmm. and integration and this small percent is the actual experience because when we walk out of that experience, it's really the ceremony of life begins, you know, and, 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 and living our lives as we are, in ceremony and in prayer and in the sacred, in, in really all moments. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, this connection, this, this really it's interspecies communication 
this interspe this the connection that we can have to plants and medicines to the strength of the earth all we have to do is walk outside or me look at the tree or close my eyes and hold all the beautiful like connections that i have had in so many moments with our mother our earth mm-hmm. you know like that she she gives us such abundant abundance and and gives and gives even though look at how we treat her you know we are in this river of life all us of us together and it's in danger <laughs> yeah. you know and um yeah so just really i i i love that the translation for medicine is the strength of the earth because it mm. it's an orientation of humility you know mm. like that's one of the like like i really i still am split on psychedelics and like plant mm-hmm. medicines my heart where my orientation is like plant medicine you know sacred or mushkiki right because of that orientation mm-hmm. but then you have psychedelics that it's a term that's used sort of so much it can be more encompassing because it maybe includes synthetics and this that and the other but for me it lacks the grounded earth orientation and is about mind and consciousness expansion and i just feel and i see over and over again even though i'm i've literally law reform being a lawyer reading million things using the mind is like literally what i've been doing for a long time over and over it's like wow we really even and and i am a better lawyer and a better you know more deeply in service person within this ecosystems and the ecosystems that I work within when I come from a heart place, when I'm aware of my, when I'm embodied, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I like, I like plant medicines better than like psychedelics, but what can you do? It's the, it's what we're using. <laughs> yeah. I think you raise a really great point and something that's come up in discussion for me a lot recently too, is like, explaining to people what the difference is between plant medicines and psychedelics. And I'm like, okay, it's kind of like a square and a rectangle. Like the plant medicines are the square and psychedelics are like the rectangle, you know, and like a rectangle, a square is a rectangle by definition, but not all rectangles are squares. Mm -hmm. And so the, the beautiful plant medicines with their beautiful intelligence infused into them and and that deeper connection with the plants or in the case of um, natural medicines, you know, the animal, um, there's something really intelligent that works its way through. And, and they do get lumped in with the overall overarching psychedelics category, which also includes the MDMA, the LSD, the ketamine, um, which are, are great medicines as a tool for what they're being used for. But incredibly different. (laughs) And um, what do you, when did that term, when did they start getting lumped together? Do you know? Well, I can say this, you know, in, so we, me, my law partner, about six other lawyers came together about three years ago and started the psychedelic bar association, but we didn't have a name at first, you know? And so we, and we went through really beautiful, deep process work. We worked, um, Kat Kahnauer, who is one of the um, founders and, and, and authors of the North Star Pledge and the North Star Principles. Mm. And, 
you know, I, I highly recommend people looking at those um, and, and, and the sort of morality tale, we will call it Paula. Um, Basically a lot of that thought was around how, given what we've seen in cannabis and how the process of commercialization and commodification, when you have something that's illegal or unregulated, then it goes through these systems what 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 did we see in cannabis? Oh, largely harmful outcomes that nobody loves. I mean, maybe mm. the much larger corporations <laughs> or venture-backed <laughs> yeah. you know, multi-state operators. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, um, but but there's more more to that. You know, what is what is what is almost lost on an interrelational ethical level when we go through that process of legalization and commodification. And so these principles, the North Star principles in that organization has really, you know, looks at how, how can we do this in a, in a way that hopefully creates less harm and in fact is, you know, a, a more healed way of of legalizing and regulating and forming companies and all the things that we do because we're people and we create systems and laws and all of that. But how can we do it in a way that's deeply value-based anyway? So that's, you know, we founded the the bar association based on those values and principles, which I'm, I'm tremendously proud of, you know, the work uh, that we continue to do. But as part of that process, we spent like a year and just the, founding board members going through an internal process. And it was like, okay, should we call it psychedelics? Should we call it plant medicine? Should we call it, what about just drugs? I mean, you know, psychedelic exceptionalism is problematic as well. Like, and we went back and forth and, oh, believe me, so much process and, and sort of ended up with, well, okay, psychedelics is more broadly understood. You know, it feels like it, it will create a wider tent, which is what, you know, we, we, we want, you know, lawyers, all sorts of lawyers, corporate lawyers who maybe haven't sat down to, you know, think about, let's say, spiritual or religious use or, you know, whatever it is, just for, and, and vice versa, just all lawyers to come, come together and work with these principles and work together on substantive legal issues. And we thought, well, psychedelics is more broad, but I still... You know, I still think about it a lot. <laughs> so, anyway. Yeah. And, okay. So I love also that your experience um, in the marijuana industry has carried through into this industry. Oh, and before I forget, I have signed that pledge, the North Star right. Pledge. So yes. I am guiding all of my principles based on um, – yeah, acting ethically and carrying the knowledge and passing on the history and um, giving thanks to those who've carried it before us and um, highly suggest it for anyone else who is in the psychedelics industry, plant medicine industry, natural medicines, um, the beautiful principles. Um, so tell me how, how did you, what made you want to become a lawyer? Let's, let's go back a little to some more origin. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, okay. It's strange because like, I didn't know a single lawyer growing up. I mean, I remember on the bookshelf, there were books by Vine Deloria, who's 
uh, an amazing um, Native American attorney and activist and just Mm. a prolific writer as well. And I remember seeing the book, God is Red and Custer Died for Your Sins and, you know, being very like interested in them at the age of like eight, like, I don't know, but um, yeah, I mean, and I drew, drew a picture of myself as weirdly a judge which I think is very funny when I was maybe like around the same age, maybe even like seven, like, I don't know what that was about, but you know, I did, (laughs) I I want to say this Mm -hmm. when I was in, I was in the jungle in Peru about a year ago. It was, I was dieting. And the first night Mm -hmm. before the dieta had started, you know, and you're in your Tombow and there's literally no walls and there's just um, a mosquito net. And oh a tiger came into my tombow or probably a jaguar. That was the first thing. But then the second thing is, it's okay though. I didn't get eaten. But the second okay. thing is, is I had this oh, a tiger in the physical realms or a tiger in, in the, the astral realm. realm. Oh shit. My tombow. Oh yeah. Oh really? Seriously dangerous. I know. That's a really, that's like a notch on the wall of like, I'm hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> You're fucking really hardcore. <laughs> I, really, I, I really thought I was going to die. But one of many times, you know, but. Anyway, uh, yeah. How did that pan out? (laughs) Oh, well, they, they went around and smelled into my bags and then came around next to my bed and breathed right next to me, which I just acted like I was dead. And then thank (laughs) the Lord, (laughs) a person, you know, there were people who were kind of like going, walking through the property, just who, you know, lived on the property just to make sure everything was safe. And actually two of them walked down the path and then the Jaguar ran away. So oh that happened. Gosh. Yeah. Well, you I don't look at it as like a beautiful blessing for your journey. I, I absolutely do. I mean, yeah. I'm yeah. A, like the biggest gift, you know? And then afterward I had this medicine dream where literally like I was in an indigenous you know, basic something like a courtroom. And so, um, I, I wasn't the judge though. Um, but <laughs> I, I was, I was there presenting, I was talking about basically there's a whole movement and I didn't even know that much about this movement, but there's a whole movement internationally that is, you know, within the indigenous community as well around the rights mm. of, of the earth, you know, um, oh. and, you know, different ways to indigenize the law. Yeah, really. Totally. I know. Like, as Mm. like, so that the earth, so nature, so rivers, you know, would, would have basically human rights or the equivalent of personhood status, you know, and can you imagine, like, if that were true today, and that's happening, Ecuador Mm. incorporated the rights of nature into their constitution, you know, other, other, I know, I know, I'm getting yeah. goosebumps. So there's like crazy goosebumps. I know. Yeah, I mean, really, like the rights of nature, I'm obsessed with like <laughs> it's everything or rights of earth. Yeah, it's the best. So yeah. anyway. So uh yeah, I mean, I mean we give corporations, that, we give pieces of shit corporations more right. status than like the lake that everyone loves to enjoy and play on. Than the fucking ocean. Like Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, it's about God's darn time. Yeah, yeah, totally. So our law firm, we do like business, corporate and regulatory work. And then we do a lot of other stuff. But like, I, I know, I know from, you know, corporate law, (laughs) and seeing Mm. the life cycle of 
corporations and businesses and just knowing the law, you know, itself. And it, it it's, it's, um, you know, there is such a distortion of how companies are running in this particular country, more so than in, in a lot of other countries. The U.S. is just so hyper profit driven only focused, no mm. matter how that profit is made, no matter how it impacts the earth. I mean, the fact that like, you know, 90% I think of our water in this country, like fresh water is in the Great Lakes region. Meanwhile, oh. yeah, yeah. So, and and meanwhile, there there's this corporation called Enbridge that was given a permit essentially from the state of Minnesota to build these oil tar pit lines, which is hurting the water. I mean, there's already been so much pollution in the Great Lakes and then it disrupts ecosystems. And, you know, mm -hmm. and that, the fact that that is happening to our, like the precious water and yet those kinds of permits and, 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 you know, the legal under the law, legal destruction of land and resources at this ecological inflection point, notwithstanding like a whole different, you know, an indigenous viewpoint, which is like, we are in kinship, these are my relatives. And, you know, but even just, you want to yeah. put it in a fully Western lens that, that, that the law sanctions that among so much else. It's, 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 it's literally, it's, it's devastating. It's mind boggling, really. But then there are these seeds of hope, you know, where like, mm -hmm. these seeds of change, you know, of like, like the rights of nature. And so um, there's actually um, a group of um, folks, native led, who are um, suing the state of Minnesota because for violating the rights of, in particular, the sacred rice called Monomen, whose ecosystem is being horribly disrupted by this, you know, by this company, Enbridge. And yeah, so I, you know, I, I think often, how can we, how can we bring these different values, just like the values from the Psychedelic Bar Association, you know, values or these like really ethical, interrelational, loving, wise, all, all of these qualities, you know, how can we bring these values into system so that maybe we can have some systemic healing as well, you know? So that's really why I became a lawyer is to like change things, protect people, protect the plants, you know, like all of that. <laughs> yeah. The world needs more of you. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. And I think, well, thank God there are amazing humans who are also walking this path and other lawyers. I'm deeply, gr deeply grateful, you know? Yeah. yeah, but yeah, more. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> more, always more. <laughs> That's my general motto. <laughs> and so how have you seen the the psychedelics, the psychedelic renaissance basically compared to the marijuana movement? Um, you know, marijuana reform and drug policy reform is, feels like it took a long time from the 90s up until where we are now. And it seems like psychedelics is moving really f fast. How how would you kind of compare contrast the two? 
Yeah. I mean, I really, I had a very front row seat to um, cannabis specifically in California. You know, I went to law school at Berkeley um, and at the time I was working at California Indian Legal Services, which is a nonprofit like Indian rights law firm. And I I worked there after law school for a while too. Um, But I was also in community with people who were sort of involved in the underground cannabis ecosystem. And, um, you know, that, that was back in the day, that's like 2004, 2005, 2006. And that was even before, anyway, I could nerd out on all the layers of law and all the things, but the point of all of this is to say it was a different time. You know, Mm. we cannabis and people involved in cannabis were demonized or you're losers or, 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 you know, criminals, like whatever kind of, it, there was, it was a derogatory relationship that the mainstream had with, with people and the Mm -hmm. cannabis plant to say the least, I mean, you know, and that was still, you know, there was still this belief, I guess, I mean, there still is somehow, but that the war on drugs was legit and it, and wasn't really like a war on people. And so, you know, it was a different like framework, you know, it was a different time. It was a different, you know, and um, it really, it's funny because I remember people saying, you know, like, and like basically, you know, anti, anti anti-cannabis folks saying, oh, it's going to be a gateway drug. And like, I kind of laugh because it's sort of like has been when it comes to like broader society, you know, yeah. it's like, yeah. It w- and, and now it's like, oh my God, holy shit. The sky didn't fall when we legalized cannabis. In fact, what happened <laughs> in California is like, you really see like how, wow, government mismanagement and bureaucracy and taxes and how much like, if you're not really careful and you and you choose to treat a plant basically like plutonium, mm-hmm. so to regulate it so that there is such a limited bandwidth of access, you know, so now in mm-hmm. California, the vast majority of the market is the unregulated market. That mm-hmm. means the quota is, you know, technically illegal market under state law, non-licensed commercial market. But people are going to those places because the taxes and the regulations and everything, and people are going to find a way to access what they want to access at a cheaper price point because life potential recession all the things whatever you know mm-hmm. so yeah it was there you know there's a lot that we have learned there's i've certainly learned a tremendous amount you know and there are a lot of a lot of us who learned a lot you know and yeah. you know there was a lot at stake with cannabis and there still is I would say in a lot of ways, not to, you know, put, put things into this, you know, kind of more and less, but I would say, you know, there is a good argument to be made for there being a, a lot more at stake when it comes to, you know, the broad thing we call psychedelics, you know? Hmm. So. Um, and how so? Um, <clears throat> like in stake and psych- at stake in what way? Yeah. Yeah. Psychedelics are so, First of all, we're talking about all these different plants, fungi, synthetic analogs, compounds, right? So it's, you know, Mm -hmm. different issues apply to different of these medicines, technologies. But we can say that 
all of these, all of these issues are tremendously like, like a lot of intersectional issues arise around mm. healthcare, health access, affordability, you know, capitalism, mm -hmm. commodification, um, government regulation, um, indigenous people's rights and rights to, to, you know, cultural knowledge and appropriation yeah. and biopiracy. And I mean, I could go on, you know, it's a drug policy reform. I mean, it's really, it's like, and so I often think about all of these issues in or as if they are like stakeholders sitting around a table, you know, <laughs> because like rather than sort of like a pyramid of government and regulation are at the top or this thing. No, my thing is the most important. It's like, all right, every mm -hmm. believe me, everybody's ha has their own idea of what's the most important thing. But I'm curious about the table and like what happens if we practice listening to what the other very important thing of the other person is, you know, mm -hmm. and really listen from a place of openness. Mm -hmm. And as we at the same time carry what we feel is very important. And we have these conversations around law reform because otherwise, you know, it'll just, it'll be what we also learned in cannabis and what we see in so many aspects of law and society, which is people are just left out. You know, those people mm -hmm. who have power within the system, um, particularly within this plutocracy, <laughs> um, you know, are the ones that will govern, they will decide sort of the outcomes on the other side. And again, you know, with cannabis, we saw what happens when we just crank the same wheel. Okay, let's just do it the same way. Mm -hmm. Same thing again. Do we really want to do that? No. And so, and now we're talking about technologies and medicines that, as you mentioned, you know, come from lineages of, of people who from all over the world, from indigenous people all over the world, you know, who have and continue to deal with, you know, erasure, oppression, violence, land taking, all the things. And then you replicate this same taking colonialist way of being. I mean, the trauma that we will, that, that will create for all of us is like, and that's just one of many issues to really deeply think and consider, you know, and we need a really mature approach, you know, again, mm -hmm. at a time of such you know, mental health, spiritual health, ecological crisis. Like we really, in this country, this obsession with almost like the young and, and, you know, this is good and bad. And, you know, just this way of like a lot of kind of like ego and we just need mm -hmm. to, you know, we, we, I mean, at least I feel like we really need to move into like those places of wisdom that allow us to really be in process around all of these complicated things that no one's supposed to know the answer to. We're supposed to be in process and figuring it out together in the river together at the table together, you know, in that circle, you know, in circle process and really embodied circle restorative, you know, process.
Yeah. Do you find that a challenge to get the politicians and the lawmakers to be like embodied in the in the room? <laughs> Wow. Well, you know, that's so through the Psychedelic Bar Association, we um, we start every meeting with a meditation or some, you know, just Ooh. box breathing, some sort of, you know, get into our parasympathetic nervous system, mm-hmm. because particularly with lawyers, I mean, lawyers and I'll tell you, even in the Psychedelic Bar Association and even this lawyer, <laughs> um, you know, we are trained to be right, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. We are trained, like there's this story that's told that the laws are somehow objective, which is not true. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, but still that's a mythology within, you know, so I'm just bringing forward the qualities of lawyers. It's like objectivity, rightness, needing to know with the brain needing to say what's going to happen in the future, all of these like things that almost create a constriction (laughs) because we write the laws. So we want boxes, you know? And Mm -hmm. so, you know, having an organization founded on value set, I mean, we do have a mission statement and the, you know, six committees are doing deeply substantive work. I mean, it's amazing on religious use and corporate law and intellectual property Mm. and litigation regulation and ethics and all sorts of cool things. But, you know, foundings, founding, starting from within, as you know, from the North Star Pledge and principles, and then, and focusing really so much on process and that embodied process. So we, we've created that container and, oh, it's uncomfortable for lawyers. And it was uncomfortable for me for quite a while at first, because it was like, oh, what are people going to think? Because they're other lawyers, you know, but it was like, nope, we do Mm. this. And it's been so beautiful because actually, um, yeah, it's for so many reasons. For so many, I mean, it really creates an openness to talking about these complex issues. And <clears throat> um, I haven't, you know, I haven't been through that process with anyone who's working on implementation in an agency. For example, when I was, you know, um, meeting with uh, certain representatives within the Oregon Health Authority last year over um, issues around religious and ceremonial use. We didn't start it in an embodied way because I, I didn't, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to ask for that in that kind of setting, Mm. you know, but that's needed. You know, this federal task force that was formed, my colleague, Roman Hayford, who's the chair of the ethics committee and on the board, you know, he said, um, you know, that task force needs embodied facilitation, you know, really. And we really mm. do. I mean, we need that in, in all, you know, to, to, to come from this place. And that's, you know, part of the wisdom, I think that's very much emerging in part because of, you know, this movement, this re, you know, this movement that's, you know, kind of, I'm thinking even outside of, you know, psychedelics, just the kind of yeah. well-being and coming home to ourselves and, you know. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's a technique that sounds like it would work well across any industry in any situation to to start a meeting just by dropping into your bodies. I mean, yeah. even something as simple as all coming together and before the meeting starts, taking a deep breath in and just sighing it out together and, and mm-hmm. taking that time to, to pause and 
acknowledge each other from a place of respect and desire to work together. Um, what a difference that could make just that simple, quick little, quick little tidbit. Yeah. Mm. And it does. I mean, it, the, the, the amazing thing is, is it does, it is that actually like is a revolutionary act on, a, on multiple dimensions, you know, it's, it really is a, re, it's because it's slowing mm. down. Like the revolution is in going slow. That's kind of my thought. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. One of my friends has a good quote he introduced to our ceremony that we keep using, which is um, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Yes, that's right. And uh, you can kind of, we had a sloth enter our ceremony house um, this last retreat for me in Peru and the sloth came through and it was going real slow on the, on the railings yeah. and climbing through the ceremony house. And we were again, got to be like, you know, my uh, maestro was like, see how the sloth moves slowly and by moving slowly he gets where he's going actually surprisingly quickly that's how we're going to be in ceremony <laughs> but uh just a wonderful observation for life as well and something i i try to take into my my business practice is like okay just it doesn't have to all be done at once just go yeah. slowly go smoothly and it will get done quickly yeah. um and so where, what's the status of, of psychedelics now? So Oregon um, is legal now as of the first of the year for, for what? Colorado voted legal. What's the difference? Let's, let's dive into that. Sure. Yeah, totally. Um, so Oregon passed two measures in 2022. One was, these were vote, voter passed initiatives. One was decriminalization of all drugs for personal use um, and a focus mm. on um, basically establishing kind of more substance abuse and support centers around all of that. Um, and then the other bill was a um, very limited. So if we think about also, I like circle analogies, paradigms of access, different ways that people access psychedelics. So there's like personally, mm. personal use psychedelics, ceremonial, religious, communal, maybe those are all one thing, depends on who you're talking to, medical, mm -hmm. therapeutic, you know, festival culture, like all these ways that mm -hmm. we actually access psychedelics, right? Um, yeah. So what, what Oregon did was they have a, a very limited paradigm of use model. Um, it is essentially just applies to psilocybin, and mm. allows adults, so you don't have to be a medical patient or, you know, get any sort of recommendation from a therapist or a doctor, but adults, it's kind of an adult supported use law. So adults can go to a facilitation center and work with a trained facilitator. They don't have to be, you know, someone who has other licensing. And in fact, there's, you know, potentially complications around some of that. Um, mm. and they do a preparation session, the administration session, and then the integration session. And so nobody's, you're not, you can't go to a shop and buy mushrooms. You can't mm. go to the facilitation center and take it home, but it's, the use is within a very prescribed set of rules. Oh, interesting. Um, and yeah. And so as of January 1st, applications for the different license types are available. You know, maybe last I looked, maybe 15 applications had been submitted. Um, oh, wow. 
Yeah. And so, you know, this, this state will need to evaluate the applications and then, you know, issue the licenses and, you know, they still have to work with the local jurisdictions. A number of local jurisdictions in Oregon opted out of the law, essentially, in, mm-hmm. in the most recent election. And so people who are going through the licensing process have to, you know, have authorization from the local jurisdiction. Um, and so, you know, it's like anything, it's implementation takes time. And it's also, it's, so it feels like, oh, it's happening slowly, but it's also happening very quickly. Mm. Um, so that's Oregon. You want me to yeah. go into Colorado? Let's do it. Okay. Um, so, so Colorado's law, the Natural Medicine Health Act, I think it's easiest to describe as if it has two components. Um, one is a decriminalization for personal use, possession, social sharing, um, you know, within this context, you know, the sort of, you know, it's, it's, it, it at least hopes to protect sort of the underground, um, you know, community and other types of sort of personal social community use. Um, and so that, that helps, you know, that, that covers certain access paradigms of access. And then the other half of the law is the kind of regulated licensing part of the law. So similar to Oregon in that, you know, they're licensed healing centers and folks that are trained by the state, um, to facilitate those sessions. Um, and it applies to psilocybin only for the first, I think first couple of years, and then the advisory board um, that will be working on all of these issues with regard to psychedelics in Colorado, will look and see whether or not to also basically create a similar regulated structure for mescaline excluding Lofofora williamsi, which is the scientific name for peyote, um, mm. and um, DMT and um, Iboga. And so um, right now, as of the signing of the law, the governor's signing of the law, those medicines are also legal for personal possession and use and this and within this kind of, you know, that that first sort of bucket of what 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 the law did. Um, And just yesterday, it was a big deal, the for at least those of us who are involved in this, the governor appointed the advisory board. And, you know, now we will see the whole like long slog of implementation where basically, I mean, but it's like super important because we learned from cannabis that there are things that the law specifically says will be protected or things mm-hmm. that are promised in, you know, the, the, the process to get the law passed, you know, and on the other side, interest groups, you know, certain of them have a lot of power and things can get gutted, you know, things that were like, wait a second, we supported this law because, you know, you said that these things that we care about would be protected. And then you have huge interest groups that, or whatever it may be, you know, whatever, whatever the happens in that unfolding where, you know, important elements are lost basically. So yeah, it's, it's a big it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. It's very important. Who's on that, that panel. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, 
And so, okay, so what I'm hearing in terms of similarities between the states is that um, decriminalization for possession for for most plant medicines, psychedelics, but yet still not access to purchase those (laughs) exactly and psilocybin and retreat centers. Well, so so that's Colorado and Oregon. There are no other states. Well, so there were about a dozen states in 2023 that includes California, Montana, New York, Connecticut, I think, maybe Virginia, that all filed legislation that relates to psychedelics, um, you know, as of, you know, January 1st of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but they look different, you know, so like, New York has two bills, but remember how I talked about Colorado being one, like, you know, one, the, you know, two, two elements in one bill, New York mm-hmm. has a bill that's just very limited medical use only, mm. for, you know, of psilocybin for residents of the state of New York who also have doctor authorization and administered by healthcare professionals, only very, very medicalized bill. That's one thing yeah. that's happening. And then a whole other is much more like, you know, what I was mentioning about personal use, social sharing, protecting religious use and community use, you know, mm-hmm. creating ex- a broader accessibility. And, you know, I really, I, these, these two things, you know, there's a conversation within the community about a conflict between medical and therapeutic and this sort of, mm-hmm. you know, broad, like decriminalization, sharing, communal, ceremonial kind of use. And they really, you know, I just, I, you know, we've got to really think about it like that, that round table where all the different ways of accessing, we need to meet people where they are. For some people, they want to go and can afford to go to work with someone, you know, the early estimates on, on what it would cost people to access the Oregon Psilocybin program, a person is between $700 and $2,000. And a lot of people cannot afford that. Most people mm-hmm. cannot afford that, you know? And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, so, so you know, there there is certainly an importance within different law reform efforts to be very, 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 very aware of and diligent to ensure yeah. that, you know, these healing ways are affordable for real. <laughs> And accessible right, for right. real and culturally appropriate for real, you know, and mm-hmm. I am concerned about some, the way that some of these bills look and, you know, working groups and states that are really just honing in only on the medical and therapeutic. Yes, that we absolutely, a hundred percent. Yes. And also, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's like this sort of exclusionary adversarial mm-hmm. On both sides, on all sides, you know, it's like, so I just, I'm very, very curious about, about the places where we all belong (laughs) in every way. (laughs) Right. Because yeah, it seems to just perpetuate that idea of keeping the the minority classes down, right? By denying the access to those who traditionally socioeconomically can't afford it. Totally. um, I mean, it's nuts, especially when we know what's happening you know, in this country and across the globe, how much, like now we actually understand how trauma works in the body, how these systems Mm -hmm. of oppression have impacted our, you know, bodies and continue to mental health, spiritual, all the things, you know, physical health. Mm -hmm. 
And so it's, it literally is unconscionable that any law would be passed at this point that doesn't put that, the healing for those communities, literally (laughs) at the center stage, you know, that's Mm -hmm. like, it's, 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 um, what it is, is, you know, a lack of awareness because of coming from places of entitlement. And so I guess on the, on a, that's, that's on the giving people the benefit of the doubt end. And on the other end, it's, you know, and maybe it's both, but you know, it's white supremacy and, you know, continued colonial attitudes and ways of being. And this just really like, yeah, just narrow, oppressive ways. So, yeah. 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 And uh, to take a step back and to, drop into our bodies and to show up differently what a a different world that would be to to acknowledge that um you know those who have walked in white privilege don't maybe don't know what they don't know and to show up with some more humility and a desire to learn a desire to explore a desire to understand um that which they don't know and in doing so that we can uplift each other uh, yeah because you know, to tie yeah. back to the earth being the mother that gives in such abundance. Well, we have all formed from this earth and that makes us all brothers and sisters and all one. And so what good is is my success or your success if we're not also uplifting the people next to us, regardless of status, regardless of um, what they do for a living and where they're That's at. Right. Like, right. Yeah, let's, let's lift and love each other. I'm here for it. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's like the systems need changing, you know, Mm. like we need major, you know, systems change. And also, you know, like, as you say, we are people, you know, we all come from the earth. We all come, we all have lineages. We all, we all, there once was a time before computers and all of these things. There once was a time when we were all deeply connected to the earth. You know, there once was even a time when you know, patriarchy wasn't basically the main thing on the menu, for example, or one of the main things, you know, there were these other times. (laughs) I'm even reading a book about it now called the Island of Sea Women um, about this seafaring nation um, off the coast of Japan. And right at the time when like Japan took over in in their region and, um, but these women were actually free divers And so they would go out and it was a matriarchal society where the women went out and free dove in the ocean and would collect clams and oysters and things to bring back to sell, to make most of the money for their homes. And the men stayed back with the children and kept the house. And um, it's a really interesting read about both free diving and matriarchal societies in a Japanese culture. Wow. Something of interest, but yeah, there's so many different ways that we've existed and so many more powerful ways. Um, there was a movie I saw recently actually called The Woman King um, starring Viola Viola Davis, if I have that correct. And I watched it twice. It was so powerful. It was about this um, African community and um, they, they valued women and men so highly that the women actually were their strongest warriors in their military. 
and were renowned throughout the region as being these like savage slayers and they were badasses, complete badasses. But also they believed that a man and woman should rule the community together as king because they represent both parts of the, the duality of human existence. And um, yeah, it was really beautiful to watch this this one particular character become crowned the the woman king alongside the king. And they weren't even like partners. They weren't lovers. So it was like someone he elected as being wise. And um, yeah, wow. there's just like so many, so many ways we could do something different and just get outside the box and, and start to look at all the ways we can color outside the lines. Um, I had a, a brilliant art lesson yesterday from a phenomenal artist. And part of what he, he taught me was like to just even start with free flowing, just like not trying to make anything, but just put, put the crayon to the paper and like make stuff and then open your eyes and smudge it all together and then start to think about drawing like a face on top of it. And I was like, this is so backwards. <laughs> was so, so brilliant. And yeah, like in what ways can we, can we get people out of our, the boxes? Um, what's a good way that you like to get people embodied or thinking differently? You know, I, I, the, the breathing is a big one, you know, just closing our eyes and into like where we are, our, our bodies and kind of tuning in, you know, that's been a, a big one that my incredible law partner, Nicole Howell and like friend, best friend, partner, soulmate across a lifetime. She, she has really brought in, into my life and into, you know, the, the work that we do in the our association is really just that the, the 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 diligent practice of turning again mm. to the moment to ourselves to our body you know through the breath and through the inward gaze so that and i've been thinking about that a lot actually you know how to invite um because i think a lot about these different cultural lenses, you know, as a mixed person walking in, you know, being part of, you know, two cultures, ontologies, epistemologies, mm -hmm. um, you know, and because these, these things, these, sometimes I call it and think about it like a Western lens and an indigenous lens because psychedelics, again, here's another example, that intersection is happening, you know, that coming into contact with that convergence is happening. And so I think I've been thinking a lot about how to bridge the cultural and ontological, you know, differences, basically, how to mm -hmm. come to what some scholars call the ethical space or the third space or this other place where both ways of being and knowing are equally respected and exist. And what is it that we find? Like you had mentioned a bit ago about like, what can we imagine? You know, I, the exercise of what would a healed system look like? What would, you know, legalization regulation of these various psychedelics look like? Really just imagine outside of all of the boxes. What is, what is that? I love that type of thought experiment is so important and is something that I do in 
the policy reform work that I, you know, that I, that I spend so much of my time thinking about and working on, you know, is, is that because the systems, you know, we need, we need things to look different. We need beautiful, you know, things like the rights of nature and, you know, other, Mm. other, 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 the third space, the other ways, the ethical ways, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like Mm. how to do that. And that's right. Like that invitation at the beginning of like, okay, let's connect with our bodies, you know, I think Mm -hmm. is a really helpful entry point, but I'm, I'm learning, you know, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, yeah. I'll know, I'll know more <laughs> as I keep on the path. Yeah. You know, I learned a, another brilliant technique yesterday that I never thought to, to sit deeply in and explore, but um, something that my, my friend called channeling. And it was like, we, we sat down and closed our eyes and took a deep breath and immediately just started free balling ideas and concepts that came into our mind. So like if you took something like what would, um, what would like a, a healed society look like, or what would, um, what would healthcare look like if we actually cared about the health of the people? And it might look like, like really, truly listening to what's wrong inside their bodies, understanding what's going on in their exact geographic location that could be impacting their health. It could look like, you know, what, what medicines can we help them with that have been through as minimal processing as possible um, to, to naturally heal them from the inside out. It could look like love. It could look like, and just to like spitball any idea, there's no wrong ideas, you know, and just write them all down or record it and write them all down later to go back and be like, okay, these were the things that came up when we just listed out things that felt good to us about that idea. And maybe Mm -hmm. how do we circle back through and figure out where the policy reforms can come from with those things in mind? Mm -hmm. Just to think it out loud. (laughs) Gosh. And so where do Sorry. I was just thinking of what what you just said is like this, like free flow connection, like source and, you know, source and higher self and, or, you know, through, Mm -hmm. through those, you know, and that's such a beautiful practice. Yeah. Yeah. And stay focused on, I mean, one of my paths is is helping people like unlock themselves, unlock who they are, unlock their creative abilities, their Mm -hmm. mental cognition, their awareness of the unified field and how they exist and their awareness in their own bodies. And um, I think psychedelics and plant medicines specifically are a a beautiful way of opening that door and having that conversation with yourself and where you exist in relation to the universe and how um, you are the universe. Shit, you know, you are love, you are light. And um, yeah, where do you see psychedelics kind of going from here? to use the broad term again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, hmm. Well, we will certainly see what we create. 
again. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's like, that's the thing that I now from, you know, being someone who's been through a process of, you know, really substantial and right on the very tip of the spear, cutting edge, you know, of law reform with cannabis, you know, specifically, you really see that kind of like a really good science fiction or futuristic realism book that shows you, like, it's almost a mirror to who we are, what we create within systems, what, you know, what is our, you know, even some books, you know, will even kind of theorize about like, what human, you know, what is human nature? And do we, do Mm. we, do we, is it, is it our forever tendency within our makeup to seek hierarchies like Octavia Butler has, you know, has said in one of her books i think it, that was in kindred i've read so many i love her um mm-hmm. but yeah that we human beings just create you know systems of hierarchy and we and that coupled with our intelligence is what basically creates all of these kind of harms and oppression you know mm-hmm. anyway so um it will be it will be a, it will be it will be an opportunity to look in the mirror once again <laughs> and you know, like what, what, what will we do? You know, and I see a lot of people who care a lot, you know, and who are really, really going to so beautifully, all people, so many people, you know, from all different backgrounds, going to the edges of their comfortability and going into the places of discomfort, you know, Mm. to, and really are, are informed by these medicines and practices and ways, you know, not, you know, not everybody, of course, there's going to be a whole, you know, and there is, you know, a whole host of, of, of people um, who are, you know, will carry that, you know, hyper capitalism, destroy anything Mm -hmm. else at all costs, yet I'm going to wrap it up Mm -hmm. in CPG packaging and market it and tell this story of how cool I am and how cool my influencers are and how great this product is and, you know, do that same rodeo (laughs) again, and that will happen. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of other things are happening and a lot of people are very committed to, I mean, really that's, you know, work that I get to do and our firm gets to do with people is really, you know, helping people design company structures, you know, you know, organize their, their business, finances, governance, financial practices in ways, in values driven ways, in ways that really, you know, operationalize those values, you know, that consider Mm -hmm. all the stakeholders that really, you know, implement actionably, you know, what people in the psychedelics ecosystem know as indigenous reciprocity, but it's, you know, really more Mm -hmm. accurately you know, benefit sharing is what the Nagoya protocol says, but benefit honoring Mm. is something that my spiritual uncle Troy talks about, um, who's Comanche. So, you know, it's, it's, people care about that, you know, people care about Mm -hmm. that within this ecosystem. And so I think we're going to see a lot of really beautiful, a lot of really beautiful, like ways, you know, in, within, within how people, work together you know i hope mm-hmm. i think i see him you know so yeah. I'm, I'm 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 holding that prayer real deeply and like working toward 
that that way <laughs> with mm. people. And speaking of uh, benefit sharing, you have shared with me um, a website that I believe, I might mess this up. Is it grow.org? Oh, grow medicine. Yeah. Growmedicine.org. And you shared with me something, a practice that I'm going to start developing as well, that every time you sit with the medicine, you go and you make a donation to growmedicine.org who helps redistribute it back out. And and please correct me if I'm messing this up, but they help redistribute some of that back out to the, um, the indigenous cultures that have carried it. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, sure. So, um, um, the indigenous medicine conservation fund. So grow medicine is sort of under or in collaboration with the indigenous medicine conservation fund. And that's important because, um, that fund is indigenous led. Um, and so mm. a big part of, you know, from, for indigenous people, um, you know, one, one thing, and I of course don't speak for, I only am just speaking for myself and what I learn and, 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 and hear and read and all the things, but, um, you know, there is there and, and, and through, you know, understanding sort of concerns and what people want within the indigenous community through different gatherings that are happening that have been happening for years around this issue, but specifically, you know, concern within indigenous communities about psychedelic capitalism (laughs) and how Mm. that is impacting their, you know, their communities, their cultural knowledge, you know, their lands, their uh, medicines. And so, you know, issues around conservation, you know, for example, Mm -hmm. of uh, Lofa Fora Williamsi of um, issues of conservation around toad and iboga. And, you know, that's something that, you know, people really care about and, and other things. And so it's very mm-hmm. important in, in, in these really that, that kind of cross-cultural dialogue and work that we really have to do together, you know, in that listening place, in that true like place of collaboration where where all, all all ways of knowing are equal and seen the different ways of knowing and being are equal and seen um mm-hmm. you know that 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 indigenous people indigenous leaders indigenous medicine carriers really need to drive or lead you know these conversations you know rather than you know, and where money is going and all of that. So, so that's why I mentioned, you know, grow medicine is so cool because it's a way where, you know, someone, a person, they're like, okay, I see that I recognize I'm in relationship with this medicine. And this medicine has also been held by communities for thousands of years. And I'm now benefiting from that. And, Mm. you know, the level of poverty amongst indigenous people worldwide is stunning. The continued oppression and taking of land and resources and all I mean it continues to this day you know colonization is not something that happened it's something that continues to happen you know and so when people wake up to this recognition of wow you know I'm in this relationship I'm being given these benefits you know healing physical healing spiritual healing financial benefits in terms of companies that are engaged in this whether you're getting a license from Oregon or you know, you're developing some sort of, you know, analog, um, you know, of, of one of these medicines, 
You know, Mm -hmm. you're deriving benefit from people who have held and continue to hold the land where this knowledge and these resources come from. And that we need in this country and in Western culture for our own really healing is a learning, learning about right relationship and, and relationality, you know? So, you know, it's, it's an, it's, it's one of many ways to engage with and to have us to acknowledge, you know, land acknowledgements are beautiful in that way. All the other ways, you know, to, um, you know, other ways that people can engage, you know, individually, you know, I've, we're, we've, you know, we work with companies that are on that journey, you know, and, um, yeah. So anyway, so yeah, they're really cool organizations that, that are, that are in place that create vehicles for this type of benefit honoring and benefit sharing. Yeah. Well, I will have them linked up in the show notes in case anyone would also like to make a donation and show your gratitude for the lineages that have carried our beautiful medicines. And how else can my listeners keep up with you? How can they um, stay informed? What's the best way? Well, I'm one of those strange people that's not really on social media. Um, <laughs> so, but I do have LinkedIn and I do post some bulletin, you know, bulletins that I write, or they could go to our website and sign up for bulletins. I only send once a month at the most, so nobody's going to get a lot of stuff. Um, but yeah. Um, and, um, I, yeah, I guess I'm not really sure all the time what to say to that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll have your website linked up. Um, so people can go there sign up for your email list. And if anyone is in need of psychedelics law, um, you are who I work with and have been so grateful for your guidance and your sisterhood uh, thus far and excited to keep walking this path with you and deeply honor your journey and what you've been through to get here, um, what you've healed and overcome so that you can help others heal and overcome um, themselves. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for all that you do. I appreciate you saying that and and same, you know. Same. Thank you for walking your path as you walk it. Thank you. I'll go ahead and call it. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and review this podcast wherever you're listening. I'm so grateful to have you on this journey with me. Until next time.